Welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On this week's show, Blake Lovell, SoutheastHoops.com. Also, uh, Blake is the host of the Marching to Madness podcast. He's going to join us, and we'll talk all things SEC hoops. We'll also, of course, get into the Gators, what he thinks of uh, the, the team that Mike White's built for next season, and what some reasonable expectations might be for that team. I know everybody's pumped. We're going to get Blake's input on that. And then at the end of the program, Eric is going to jump in and give us uh, his thoughts on Tyree Appleby, the transfer from Cleveland State, very talented mid-major player, takes a step up in competition, what we can expect from uh, Mr. Appleby as he joins the Gators basketball program. So we hope you're enjoying SEC Media Days. On the football side, you can almost smell the first tailgate. Um but we're going to keep talking basketball here at Florida Basketball Hour. Everybody that listens, thank you for that. Thank you for all the, the great reviews we've been getting on um, iTunes. The written reviews are amazing. We really appreciate all of you who have left them. And, um, you know, please continue to leave us ratings, suggestions, listener questions, any of that. Uh, they all help the show. So thanks again, and we hope you enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome to Florida Basketballer. I am Neil Blackman. I am with uh, two guests this week: Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Most of you all know Eric from joining us most every show. Also, have Blake Lovell, who now leads Kevin Brockway three-two in our uh, <laughs> leaderboard of guest appearances. Um, Blake Lovell, Southeast Tubes, Marching to Madness podcast. Uh, a lot of really awesome interviews there. Not just SEC coaches, but you know, around the country. I know. Uh, we're big Scott Drew fans, so we got some. We got a Scott Drew interview last week. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Blake's keeping busy, uh, even though, according to John Rothstein, this is the time of year we're supposed to be sleeping. Um, welcome, Blake. Pretty, yeah, I don't... <laughs> uh, pretty eventful off season. I was gonna say I don't think I'm, I'm gonna be sleeping uh, all that much between the podcasts and uh, all the stuff happening in the SEC. I told you guys blue ribbon and it's, man, it's it's stuff all over the place. But you know what? That's why we love it. Is guys like us are talking about this in July when uh, everybody else is uh, focused on the uh, the craziness of SEC football media day. So yeah, it's kind of weird to like we're the three of us are are on our own little island as media days are wrapping up. <laughs> recording this but but people are listening which is uh that's awesome um busy off-season coaching changes wise you know what 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 struck you the most about the coaching changes is it that this is a league where people are going to go get their guy now or is it was there one hire that stood out above the rest you know i've heard different takes on this from like well buzz is home and it's a huge deal to I like all the hires. You know, where where do you fall on on uh, all the the coaching carousel? Yeah, I think Buzz is is probably the easiest one to look at, and for like in terms of just a the long term future of the program, I think it's hard to dislike anything that the Texas A and M did by bringing him in there. Um, you feel like he's going to be there a while, and uh, I don't know that he's going to be the one that's going to have the most success right away. I think. Probably NATO to Alabama has the best chance to do that. Um, I think Arkansas could be a little bit better than people think. Uh, but it certainly feels like just, just having someone like that, it's it's somewhere he's familiar with. Um, and just, you know, being in that spot. where That's a program I think that people know can, can win a lot of games. And they just kind of hit a wall, I think, uh, there with Billy Kennedy, who I still think is, is kind of an underrated coach. I just think they kind of ran into some situations uh, where they just couldn't get over that hump and be able to to have enough consistency year in and year out. And then there's Vanderbilt, which, uh, you know, for me, locally in Nashville, went outside the box. But to me, basketball is, is basketball in a sense. And, and Jerry Stackhouse knows basketball. It's just about how they adjust to the, to the college game. But I think for him, just, just hiring somebody like David Grace, who has all the recruit experience, it was at UCLA. It just I think that was an invaluable hire for him. And, and I think he'll do okay there. It's just like we said, he's, he's got some work to do, though, to kind of change things. So, Blake, what would you say is the, like, roadmap to Vanderbilt coming back to rele- relevancy? Like, how, how do you think that they go about, um, whether it's, like, 
bringing in players through transfer, which I mean, doesn't really seem like a yeah. <laughs> stackhouse thing to do or whether it is to just um, um, to try to land, you know, more five star, or high four star. Like what, what do you think the, uh, the kind of roadmap would be for them to uh, have? Some well, success? I think it's got to be development. And I, you know, for me, and, and I've said this many times, I have nothing against Bryce true. I thought Bryce true was one of the best guys you'll ever meet. And, and I think they did some things where it was a mixture of, you know, they had some bad luck but they also maybe just did some things that didn't quite fit. And for Vanderbilt, I mean, you guys know this. Think about when Vanderbilt wasn't getting the top four-star, five-star recruits. They were still finding ways to win games because they would bring in three-star guys or guys that maybe were under-recruited, and they'd develop them for a couple years and be able to you know, be an experienced team in the SEC. That experience would pay off, and I think that's what they've got to do you're not going to go out and every single season have the kind of recruiting class that Vanderbilt had last year. I think that was a very unique situation. Um, I, you know, Jerry Stackhouse to me, I think they'll be able to recruit well there, but are they going to get, you know, two top 15 players every year in and year out? I don't think so. And so you got to be able to develop guys. And I think that's their, their, their mindset right now is they're going to try to, you know, develop guys year in and year out and have guys that, that stay for several years. Uh, bring in some transfers, which is not easy to do at Vanderbilt. Um, as you guys know, it's just bringing in transfers to Vanderbilt hasn't always worked. It just, you know, there, there are certain restrictions that make it very hard to do. Um, but I, they, they've got a game plan in place. But like, like I mentioned, I think it's still one of those deals, you know, are they going to lose every game in the SEC this season? Probably not. Uh, but it's going to be a couple years before they're back, maybe having a chance to compete in that top half, I think. Can, can I cheat and ask and jump in and ask um, non-SEC related <laughs> with the news about Rick Bird because it's your neck of the woods? Yeah. I, I look at that team and, like, we saw Tyler Scanlon transfer there and I'm not even sure he's good enough to start for them because they're that good. Like, <laughs> is it possible that that, uh, that that program can can maintain that kind of standard for excellence that we got used to at Belmont? Yeah, you know, I, I love Casey Alexander. I mean, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. And, you know, to me, let's say, you know, let's say a school like Vanderbilt would have decided to go a different route. And, and I don't think anyone is really surprised by them hiring Sackhouse because of the connections with, with Malcolm Turner there as the AD. Um, but to me, someone like Casey Alexander would have meshed with that philosophy I was just talking about of, of having a different type of system um, developing guys from over a couple year span and just being able to, to win a lot of games. Um, and, and so I think, I think he's going to do great there. I mean, you never want to follow, you know, in a great man's footsteps like that. And right. Are, are they going to be able, is he going to be there as long as Rick Bird? You know, it's just, there's so many different facets like that. You have no idea about, but I mean, he is, he's an extension of Rick Bird. He, he played for him. He coached with him. Um, he had them this success at Lipscomb. They're going to play the same style. They're going to shoot a lot of threes, play up and down the court. Um, I, I don't think that that program is going to miss a beat because I really do think you talk to coaches all around the country, uh, they kind of see Casey Alexander as kind of that next up and coming guy. So kind of going back to uh, back to SEC coaching. Um, so full disclo- disclosure, Blake, um, and people like listening to this podcast will will know this. Um, I'm not an Eric Musselman fan. Um, <laughs> All that right, is, that's uh, it. I'm going to hang co- up. Which, uh, we'll talk to you guys now. It's a collective, <laughs> yeah, it's a collective Florida basketball hour position. <laughs> yeah, so I, I knew that I knew that this was going to – Blake, you're the guy to ask. And this is, this is very much rooted in before Florida played, um, played Nevada in the NCAA tournament, um, as I did in kind of my film and scouting um, for articles. I just realized that I just was like couldn't be less impressed with the stuff that they run. So I just wanted you to kind of tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> Um, why Musselman is, is, is better than I think he is and, and maybe Neil thinks he is and, and maybe listeners of this podcast who are, you know, Florida-centric who have heard me kind of um, rail on a bit of what he's well, done. Well, here's the thing with Musselman, and, and I think that there are points to be made about that because it's really hard to get a grasp on exactly what their system approach is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it is. It, it's so hard to do because – the fact is, let's think about it. I mean, the roster has changed so much seemingly almost every season for him to where you're bringing in all these transfers. You're playing a, a different sort of style. You're taking a different approach. Um, you don't kind of know what you're going to get. And I think that's why, you know, for Arkansas fans, I, I was a big Mike Anderson fan. I realized they didn't get over the hump. Um, you know, I'm just someone that, that thought, 
I still think it's a tough job, and it is a job that can be one of the best in the SEC, but it's still a tough job. Um, and and now you go to someone who, yes, had that success at Nevada, um, but what is the approach that they take? We already see all the transfers that are coming in. Um, how they develop players, I think, is going to be really important because it does feel like it's a situation where we don't exactly know the system and we don't know what the consistency is going to be because we don't know who's going to be there. Um, because you are adding in kind of quick fix guys when you bring in grad transfers and all that. And there's nothing wrong with bringing in grad transfers. I mean, look, he's going to tell me Florida's going to kick out Kerry Blackshear? No, because, you know, <laughs> you, you add people that can help and they give you that experience. But I also think it's a situation where they've got to prove there at Arkansas that they can recruit at that top level year in and year out, be able to keep these guys there. Um, he's got a good young nucleus. I think that's why I'm more high on, on the hire maybe than some people are, just because I do think they have a solid nucleus to work with. And I do think it's where we're going to learn a lot about him in this first year because they do have talent on the roster. They do have guys. Um, yeah, I love Isaiah Joe. Yeah, he's good. I mean, they've got guys there where they can be one of the better backcourts in the SEC. I think they've. They, they've got a lot of interesting pieces. For, to me, usually you can't judge a coach, you know, maybe a couple years after he gets there. But I think we'll be able to tell a lot about his approach and what it's going to be there this season because they do have a pretty good team. Do you think that you think that hire was about ceiling, right? Because Mike Anderson made yep. three of the last five NCAA tournaments. That's pretty good at most places. Yeah, no, I think it's – and here's the, here's the problem. I've always said this to every fan base there is in the SEC. Everybody wants to be number one, but somebody's got to finish one. Somebody's got to finish two. Somebody's <laughs> got to finish three, and you go on down the line. Um, it's great that everybody wants to, to feel like they can be at the top, but the problem is you got to finish somewhere, and only one person can finish number one. So the expectations can be high, but it's like you also have to understand that we're not in an SEC landscape anymore where teams are going to be able to year in and year out be, okay, that is going to be the, the number one team in the SEC. Yes, I know we could put Kentucky in that category still, and that's always going to be the case as long as John Calipari is there. But, you know, even Florida, I think the team, look, Florida's been up and down at times. And, yep. you know, you go all across the board. We're not in a situation anymore where we can sit there and say, well, those are going to be the two or three best teams in the SEC for the next five years. It just doesn't work that way. And so for Arkansas, yes, you want to try to get back to competing for the Final Four like you did in the mid-90s. But you know what? There, there are going to be ups and downs. And Mike Anderson had his ups and downs, and now it's just saying, okay, let's go see if, if Musselman's the guy that can get us um, you know, to being consistently in that top five, and let's see if we can make that happen. Okay, silence, bad radio. Um, so let me – <laughs> let me ask about let me ask about Nate Oates. Uh, I guess two parter because Eric and I have kind of debated whether or not they can play the way that he did at Buffalo. Yeah. In in a in a Power Six conference, uh, I'm not really sure that they can, but I think they can play sort of like that. So I guess my question is: Is that maybe the Kermit Davis type situation where you could see the biggest jump from from last regime to new regime, and how much do you think? adding, you know, a Beetle Bolden kind of solidifies the chances to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, they've got a chance to make a big jump. And I know there are a lot of people, Alabama fans included, who are kind of tired of hearing about Alabama being the sleeper team in the SEC year in and year out. (laughs) Because, you know, it seems like we've had that conversation for four or five years in a row now. Um, And you can probably go back many years before that where – Alabama just hasn't been able to meet those expectations. And whether those expectations were realistic or not, you can argue that all you want. Um, but I do think it's a situation where, look, he's got he's got a nucleus there that I've personally been very high on. And I think it's hard for some people to maybe understand the potential of some of those guys just because they weren't playing in a system. Maybe they weren't playing in roles that seem like they fit what they can do. Like a guy like Alex Reese, I love Alex Reese. And I think, you know, what Nate Oates loves about him is he's a guy who can step out and shoot the three. And that's what you want. You want post guys who can step out and shoot the three, um, you know, who have been able to rebound, play defense. You know, a guy like Galen Smith's important defensively for a team like that. And you go on down the line, I mean, Alabama's roster is full of potential. With Kyra Lewis, John Petty, Herbert Jones, the freshman, you mentioned Beetle Bolden. 
um, they got the guards to have a lot of success. Um, to, to me, it's just a matter of how quickly does everyone grasp the system? Are they going to shoot the ball well enough for outside? It seems like they have the pieces to do that. Um, I think things can come together pretty quickly for them. And if they get off and running here, he's doing a really good job from, from a lot of people we talk to recruiting-wise, just being able to get in the mix for some of yeah. these really good players. Um, I, I think the, the, the ceiling for them – is now a lot higher because he did feel like to me the the one guy on that mid-major level who felt like a for sure kind of star pretty quickly. And I think just adding him to the mix there, they got a chance to have a lot of success here this first season. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the Mike Whitehire, to be honest. Yep. You know, a, lot of, a lot of people, you know, in basketball circles, I know because we'll have our, our hive, the, the hive portion that just listened to us to make fun of us. We'll uh, – <laughs> we'll be like, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, if you talk to people in basketball circles, Mike White was a, a big yeah. mid-major name, and Oates kind of fits that bill, and, and with more success, arguably. Yep. No, he's – I mean, again, it's it, that was the thing for me with Alabama. Are you going to go out and try to steal away a, a successful power conference guy, or are you going to go out and get the probably the hottest mid-major name on the market? And they went that route. Um, and, look, I, you know, talking to him on the podcast last week, he, he really likes his freshman group, too. I think people will forget about that. I mean, this freshman group's a top 20 class. And, yeah. you know, they've got probably – honestly, they've probably got three, maybe four guys who, who should be able to play consistent minutes. And, and they add that shooting aspect, some ball handling. Um, they're going to be pretty good. And I'd be surprised if they're not. But you know what? If you're an Alabama fan, uh, you've heard that before. So, Should we move – let's move to just around the league, out of, out of the coaching – chat and maybe maybe start with a program that uh that didn't have to switch coaches um the the sec champions lsu um <laughs> what <laughs> is there a stranger like reversal of fortunes from oh my gosh they're gonna be terrible to hey they actually could go back to the sweet 16 type in like one month yeah it's very weird because um i was kind of prepared to look at them and I'm still in that scenario, though, where I don't have a clue what to sort of expect. <laughs> I mean, I, I know they have these guys back now. I know, you know, you, you do get a really solid nucleus coming back, and you certainly add Trent and Wofford to the mix. But, you know, I mean, Tremont Waters, to me, has been one of the most important SEC players over the past couple of years, um, just in terms of someone that had the ball in his hands so much and literally everything they did kind of went through him. Um, you know, how does that change? And certainly not having someone like Nasri, who was a very versatile player. I think he'll have a lot of success in the NBA uh, as he continues to develop. But, you know, I mean, Javante's smart. I really like his game. But now he's he's got to be the man. You know, Skylar Mays has got to take on more of a role. Uh, Emmett Williams, how's that freshman to sophomore jump? We mentioned Trenton Wofford. There's just a lot of different unknowns with LSU, even with the talent coming back. Um, but if you look at it from a potential standpoint, they can easily be a top five team in the SEC. Uh, they can have a chance to, to get back, you know, win multiple games in the NCAA tournament. I think the problem is, is we just don't know what the adjustment process is going to be without someone like Waters on the court uh, because he was. He was kind of the guy that made everything go, and now you kind of see how these other guys step into that. What do you think is like, uh, in a way that like, not to say that they were, um, the team in the SEC that was like most reliant on one player in Tremont Waters. Mm -hmm. But if you had to say, um, if you had to pick an SEC team that was the most reliant on one player for their success, who would you say that is both team and player? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think you could probably, I think LSU is like we said, I think they're, they're one you could look at and certainly feel that way about, um, you know, one other, and I don't think this is necessarily the case, but I do think people are going to realize uh, just how important maybe he was to the mix, Quindary Weatherspoon at Mississippi State. Uh, yes, mm. you know, they've got Nick Weatherspoon. They've got Reggie Perry coming back. But, you know, Lamar Peters, too, was, was also there. Uh, but I just think Quindary Weatherspoon was kind of on a different level than everybody else. And, you know, he was there for, for several years. And, and just taking him away – it's the same thing with LSU. How do those other guys continue to develop? I mean, sure, you know, Nick Nick and Reggie Perry, they've got all the potential in the world, um, as do some of the other younger guys on that roster. But 
I just, we don't really know. And so, you know, people may look around at other teams like Chris Silva at South Carolina. Um, Nick think, Claxton. Yeah, Nick Claxton at Georgia. Pick those two big guys because, listen, I, listen, guys, if, if Georgia would have brought back Nick Claxton, yeah. I, I think you could have looked at <laughs> Georgia and said, there's your team that's, that's going to really kind of crash the party and uh, really feel a lot more confident in their chances. I, that's why I'm a little hesitant still, even with Anthony Edwards there, um, but not having someone like Claxton that hurts. Same thing with South Carolina. The weird thing is, you know, Chris Silva and, and Frank Martin, you know, I'm sure was frustrated at times with him. He got in foul trouble. Um, but to me, it's still – replacing Chris Silva is going to be really hard to do. I think South Carolina is going to play a lot different. Uh, I like the nucleus, actually, they have coming back. They're going to get Justin Manaya back, A.J. Lawson's back, of course. Um, you know, they add some other guys. But how do you replace Chris Silva? Because he was such a presence on defense and – he was a surefire double double guy. Is there anywhere? Is there anybody else on that roster that's a surefire double double guy? Right. I don't think so. And and that's where you know to me, we do this every year with South Carolina. But you know that's what's going to hold me back from saying South Carolina is going to be back in that top four of the SEC because I don't know exactly how they're going to play offensively or defensively without Chris Silva. It always seems like they find it's that, that South Carolina team. It's just like if you expect them to be good, they're not as much. And when you don't, they you know find a way into the top four of the SEC. Yeah. So you actually kind of led in perfectly. I was going to ask you if they were going to uh, going to find a way this year, but uh, yeah, you, you kind of uh, well, went to it brilliantly. And that's the thing is, you know, we remember back. Think about how bad they were in non-conference last year. Like you talk about yeah. a team, and we don't see that often. I don't think. Yeah, teams change during the season, but. I don't think we, – we haven't seen many teams that have gone from literally, you know, losing exhibition games to non-Division one competition to finishing fourth in one of the best conferences in the country. Uh, that's, that's just something we don't see a whole lot. So, uh, that, that was a unique season, I think, for yeah. the Gamecocks. What um, – so, so, I was trying to think of who's going to miss a player the most. And I kind of – like I, I almost convinced myself that I think it's Nick Claxton, Blake, just in Georgia because because of the difference between what it means. I think it means the difference between a second weekend team and a team that is kind of like the LSU team with Ben Simmons that is like young and super talented, but you know, obviously they're going to be better coached. Not no offense to our friend Johnny, but um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's a first round or maybe Anthony Edwards can win them a game in the tournament, which they haven't done in a decade, but I don't think it's them. And I'm going to argue that it's Jared Harper and, and that yep. and I'm going to say that really, really liking the pieces that Bruce brings back, but also kind of going, man, who's that dude on that team? Because I feel like they lost the two guys that were the dudes when, when they just needed a bucket or they needed to stop a run. And you know, you, Keke and Harper. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I could make the same case too, and it, we'll get to them, I'm sure, but I could make the, the case for Tennessee too um, because that that's what makes this year interesting in the SEC. You see the talent that's behind some of the guys that left, but, man, they've got big shoes to fill. And, yeah. you know, I like Samir Dowdy. I like Javon McCormick, but Samir Dowdy and Javon McCormick were the, were the kind of, you know, I don't know what the word is, but they were kind of the supporting cast last year. Now they are the main men. You know, it's like, well, you got to have them step up into those roles, and there's no way they're going to be able to do – they're not going to be able to be Jared Harper and Bryce Brown because th- those are two guys that don't come along very often. Uh, you mentioned Shumo Kiki, who developed into one of the most versatile players in the country last year. Um, and so I, I am putting kind of Auburn in that same mix when you look at them and say, you know what? I think Auburn's got a chance to, to get back, you know, to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. But you can also look at them and say, I can't tell you exactly where they're going to pick up the production from losing those guys. And, and you know what? Even a guy like Horace Spencer. I thought Horace Spencer played a role that was important. Um, and, yes, you've got Macklemore coming back. You've got Wiley coming back. That's not as huge of a difference. But he was still someone that was kind of important to how they played. So you look up and down the line to them, and like I said, compare it to someone like Tennessee. I, I'm hesitant to look at Tennessee and say, sure, they've got Jordan Bowden. They've got Lamonte Turner. You know, Josiah James comes in. That's that's a great, you know, nucleus to work with. But where's Grant Williams? Where's Admiral Schofield? Where's the right. toughness of what I thought was two of the toughest players I've seen come through the SEC in a long time? 
where is that? Where's the toughness? And and that's where you don't know. And so for me, Tennessee has a lot of question marks. And, you know, maybe Auburn doesn't have as many as them. Uh, but, you know, it's just we don't ever exactly know how guys are going to respond to new roles. And we see it with teams year in and year out. You know, teams that have high expectations, certain guys don't step up and maybe they don't meet those expectations. Uh, that's why it really does make this year, and I know I've said this every year and people get tired of hearing it, but it makes this year even harder to predict. It's one of the hardest years to predict in the SEC uh, in a while for me. So yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm sure Eric has other questions, so I don't want to monopolize the, the question space here. But, um, <laughs> you know, is Nick Richards – development and EJ Montgomery's development, maybe the key to, to who does win the sec, because it seems like that. I mean, that seems kind of obvious, but yeah. you know, Nick Richards is a guy to me who I think is already really good defensively. And, and, you know, you'd think he'd be poised for a big leap. You'd think that EJ uh, might, might have the kind of uh, the, the kind of jump in production that we saw last season uh, at Kentucky. But, but, you know, we just don't know about that. Um, you know, what do you think of, of what Kentucky does have inside having lost out on, on Blackshear? Well, and I just want to see their development from an offensive standpoint. I mean, I, we know, I think defensively, rebounding-wise, what right. both of those guys are going to be able to do. But here's my thing is how are people going to guard Kentucky? Because it's, it's different year in and year out. Um, you know, if those two guys can't prove to be consistent kind of offensive players, and they'll get those opportunities. Um, teams are going to guard them a lot differently. They're going to put the pressure, you know, on the guys on the perimeter. And, and certainly when we talk about the guys that have coming in, Tyrese Maxey, Khalil Whitney, uh, go down the line, um, it changes how people are going to guard them. And that's where, you know, and we've seen it throughout the years. People, you know, do you play zone against Kentucky? Because are they going to be able to shoot the three? And that's always, to me, is the question with Kentucky. You, you get one of the best classes in and, you know, consistently from top to bottom, how are they going to shoot? the three because that's going to determine how people guard them because it's really hard to match up with them one through five i mean we know that it's it's hard for a lot of teams around the country i don't think florida's gonna have a problem with that but there's a lot more teams in the sec that just are going to have a difficult time matching up one through five um but and that's where it comes down to to me and that's why their their development's so important because They've got to be guys who, you know, can get them consistent offense. If they can do that inside, that adds another layer. Um, and, you know, again, it's just kind of a, a situation where, at least for me, the, the unknowns there and certainly just, you know, knowing Florida's young, um, but, man, they're talented. And it's just like you've got two teams that feel a little bit similar in that regard, um, and that's why I kind of look at those sort of the same at the top of the SEC right now. So, Blake, um, I've been listening to your podcast for uh, a couple of years, maybe since it started. I'm not entirely sure. but <laughs> well, I'm I mean, sorry, for, I respect... sorry for listening to the, those first probably 100 because I go back and listen and they sound terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I remember when you were covering, uh, you know, SEC basketball coming off like a two-week yeah. <laughs> season for the league. So, uh, so, one, I really obviously really respect what you do. And um, one of the things that I love about, uh, about listening to your podcast, especially looking back to uh, yeah, a few years back uh, when I first listened, was you were able to be like, Hey, like this player is someone that, uh, that you should watch out for. And it was, and you're like, Hey, you know, maybe this player is not going to be a huge contributor this year. Um, but you know, like as a, as a junior watch out for, and there's always, and yeah, you've nailed a few <laughs> of those. So I'm just interested if you have, uh, have anyone that maybe like some Florida fans, you mostly watch like Florida basketball, uh, just someone that's maybe not on their radar within the league, um, that they're going to really enjoy watching or maybe not enjoy watching <laughs> as they play well against Florida, but just some of those, um, it doesn't have to be like, breakout player of the year just maybe someone you enjoy watching or, or someone that Florida fans should watch yeah I mean I think there's there's several guys you can put in that mix and I'll start with Vanderbilt just because like we said that's that's a team where we know what the expectations are going to be um they're going to be very low but I, I do think Aaron Neesmith is someone who I mean he's a he's a potential first round NBA draft pick in my opinion I mean I, he's just the way he can shoot he's just one of those versatile wing type of guys you gotta have now um, who can, you know, he can take it to the basket, which I know he's getting better at. But his shooting ability, just kind of his length, his versatility, Aaron Neesmith is going to be the biggest key other than saving Lee on that team to, to whether they can take a big step there. Uh, I think in Jerry Stackhouse's first year because uh, he's got to be better. You know, someone else I'd throw in that mix. And I think we had him in this mix a couple of years ago, but people kind of forgot about him last year because he didn't really play because he got hurt. And that's Justin Manaya, South Carolina. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of his because of what he did, you know, a couple of years ago. And I, I, I don't have any sort of questions about him being able to just step right back in. Um, you know, you never know when a guy doesn't play like he did last year, and you never know exactly how they're going to step back into the mix. But I feel like he's got a lot of opportunity there, like we said, knowing uh, what, what kind of things look like for their roster. But the, the number one guy to me, and it's not just because we have the same first name, and, and I don't even know if he's considered um, – you know, I, I would hope most people kind of know about him by now, but I think you're really going to know about him even more now this season, and that's Blake Henson at Ole Miss. I mean, to me – he was one of the most impressive freshmen in the league last year, you know, throwaway awards, all that different stuff. I was just so impressed with his ability to kind of handle pressure. Um, and Kermit Davis told me before the season started last year, he said, he's probably the most mature kid I've ever coached at that age. And so that kind of tells you where his mindset was with him. And we saw it throughout the season. Um, Ole Miss has, is probably going to fly under the radar again to me because they do lose Terrence Davis, but I think they have another chance to be in the NCAA tournament this season. They've got some inexperience uh, around you know, the top three guys of Henson, Devontae Shuler, Bree, and Tyree, but they've got a really likable roster. Uh, and so I would kind of keep an eye on him, and, and I think they've got a chance to be really good. Another name, and I don't know if you – Again, I could go on for hours here, guys, with all these different <laughs> names, but I'll just name off every player. That way I'm going to get a couple right. Um, <laughs> you know, Drew Smith at Missouri, it's one that SEC fans don't know about because he's he's coming over from Evansville. He's going to be very important, and I think he's what pushes Missouri, um, you know, to having a guy who can handle the ball like he can. He could be what pushes Missouri from being a bottom-tier SEC team to possibly being the sleeper team in the conference uh, because they do have so much kind of experience returning on that roster. Eric, Eric, do you have one? Oh, man. I was going to hmm. put Eric on. No, I don't think okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. Blake, Blake Hinson was one that I that I was thinking yeah. of, but it must have been something I gleaned from one of, <laughs> one of Blake's podcasts. <laughs> I think we're all high on Ole Miss. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, because I feel like they – like Davis was so important, I think, from a leadership standpoint, but I, I still feel like they get an efficiency bump by him leaving. That's like a harsh thing to say, but right. Well, it gives um, more opportunity to Shuler and Tyree. I mean, Brian Tyree yeah, is just—he's tremendous. Like he's right, and he, much you more know. efficient player. Yeah, and you look like I said, he's got guys around him too. I mean, KJ Buffin and you know Carlos Curry's there. Brian. I mean, there's there's a lot, and he adds Austin Crowley to the mix. I mean, a good four star you know freshman, and so. I don't know. I like Ole Miss, and that's because you know I'm a big Kermit Davis fan. Everybody knows that, but I just yeah. I think he always finds a way to get the most out of his roster, even if he doesn't have you know five star, five star at every position. They'll probably defend better in year two under him too. Yeah, and that was one of the the focus. He it's funny because he had mentioned that he's like, look, he's like we're going to get better on defense, but there's no way we're going to be able because I mean that was their biggest weakness. Let's face it. I mean, yeah. you know, the last several years of the, the Andy Kennedy era. Um, they just they were not consistent on defense and personnel just wasn't there to, to have a consistent defense and that's what you know stopped them from being a team that got to the NCAA tournament consistently if they get better on defense which I think Blake Henson will help them there too as he you know he's more mature now in year two strength wise and all that um, that there there's a lot to like about Ole Miss. So people know about Maxi, they know about Scotty Lewis they know about Edwards who's a who's a freshman and they know about Trenton Watford who's a freshman that's not one of those four guys that you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so excited to see him play. You know, there's – again, I could go down the list here. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think Isaac Okoro at Auburn is, is one yeah. that, like you said, a lot of people probably know about him. But I do think he's the, he's the biggest key to what Auburn does this season um, when you add him around – those other guys we talked about, just their returners. I mean, you know, Tyrell Jones, too. I mean, he was another guy that, that's on that Auburn roster, and he's going to have to play minutes. And, you know, just seeing maybe how he, he figures into the mix. Um, you know, Jaquan Walton at Georgia. I mean, Georgia's, Georgia's one of those teams where we, we, we said it. I mean, with Nick Claxton, you feel a lot better about Georgia. Um, but their, their guard play is just – you don't exactly know, other than Anthony Edwards. I mean – the guys they have coming back, no offense to them, but consistently has, consistency hasn't been a strong suit with some of their guards they have coming back. Um, and so that's why I think guys like that, you know, some of those Georgia freshmen, they've got a chance to, to really make an impact. Um, you know, like I said, I'm sure there's other guys that I'm forgetting. But, but there's a lot, you know, a lot of different players that you feel like because of that, 
kind of people leaving maybe early for the NBA, so many important players gone. There's a lot of these freshmen are going to have an opportunity to play, um, and they're going to have to, I think, because they're going to have to fit into some of these roles, and uh, that's why you, you kind of want to hold back a little bit with some of these SEC teams because you don't know how the freshmen are exactly going to fit in. Yeah, I think that I, I was hoping I could get past uh, the second uh, second half of Blake's answer so I could go Turbo Jones <laughs> as the player I was looking forward to seeing. But, I'm uh, always but waiting. Called him, yeah. But, yeah, but I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's a guy that I just – I think you just look at guards that have um, kind of done really well in the SEC. It's these guys with just like um, great speed off the bounce, but also guys that can kind of take a bounce off the uh, – kind of take contact and, and keep that speed going. And I see Turbo Jones, and I think he'll be uh, – He'll do really nicely in that backcourt. Yeah, no, he's going to have to. I mean, like we said, uh, you know, that's Bruce Pearl's one thing he's got to have. And, you know, it's just it's always helped him excel is when he has three or four different guards that can play. And when you when you have that many different guards and because you're playing such an up-tempo style, you can just, you know, you filter them in and out. And you're able to keep everybody fresh throughout the game. And, and you just have so many different options. And, and that's why I think, you know, for him, it's such an unusual roster, too, for Auburn. I mean, think about it. He's got a lot of seniors and he's got a lot of freshmen. So that yeah. gap in the middle there is what we don't really know about. And he was talking about that. He's like, look, I mean, he's never had a roster like that. It's, it's so rare to see a, a roster where you pretty much have all seniors and all freshmen. And so it's like, you know, where, where's that middle ground? Uh, how does everybody kind of fit from a chemistry standpoint? Because there is, there is such a gap from an age perspective. And so uh, that's what makes Auburn kind of intriguing too. Florida fans will be familiar with such a roster having just watched right. one play. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, I guess let's close with, let's close with Florida because uh, our listeners are probably bored of, of us, <laughs> of, of listening to Eric and I, of listening to Eric and I pontificate about, about what Florida can be. What, what excites you the most about watching the Gators next season? And, you know, what kind of, what kind I mean, it, is the final four ceiling real to you as a, as kind of a neutral third party or, <laughs> or um, you know, where, where do you kind of fall in on that? Well, we talked before we came on and I told you guys uh, the one person who was able to keep my expectations in check and you know how good he is at this. And that's mm-hmm. Mike White. I mean, you know, because we, we do have him coming up on the podcast and we talked to him actually today as we're recording this, you always can count on Mike White to keep, the expectations in check and not let anybody run away uh, with talking about top 10 and final four and all that, because as you know, he's kind of focused just on the chemistry aspect of this all. And I found that very fascinating in the conversation we had with him is just the chemistry between these guys. You do have such a young team and you do have guys that look, the talents there. Uh, we know this is, to me, one of the most talented teams in the country. When we look at it from that perspective, you got one of the best backcourts in the country. Um, the biggest question mark I had was going to be the front court. Well, now you had Kerry Blackshear. A lot of those questions are answered. But it's all about chemistry, I think, and how everybody fits together. Is the lack of experience maybe from top to bottom going to hurt them? I'm not as concerned about it now because you do have Blackshear. Um, and, you know, he mentioned, you know, a couple guys, too, that, that have to be able to step up, you know, you know, Gat, Bassett, guys like that who have been on the roster, you know, are, are they going to be expected to play those prominent roles? Probably not, but they're going to have to help with some of that depth that we talk about. And, and certainly when you add all these freshmen into the mix, um, you know, you, you, feel, you know who's going to have a chance to play. All these guys are going to have a chance pretty much to play. And, and how does everybody fit in together? Uh, I would put Florida as a preseason top 10 team right now. I have Kentucky and Florida 1A and 1B in the SEC. I think they're, they're pretty much neck and neck when you compare them. Um, you know, what gives Florida that edge over Kentucky? I just think it is. It's, it's Kerry Blackshear. I think he's what would be that edge when you're comparing these two teams. And I also, you know, you can compare Andrew Nimhart, Ashton Hagens. You know, you can go up and down the line comparing at every single position. But I just think that there's a there's an aspect to this Florida team, and Mike White said it. There's a toughness to this group that, and it may be just an overall talent to this group. He hasn't had there before, and, right. and that's what everybody's seeing. That's what's standing out, um, and that's what's going to give to me, you know, Florida a chance to go to the Final Four this year. So I mean, there there has been, as you know, Neil mentioned, uh, kind of alluded to earlier there's still a little bit of a hive that's uh, that's not super big on Mike White. So uh, for you as a 
a neutral observer, casual observer, someone who follows the league and college basketball on a whole. Um, what is what are your thoughts on what Mike White has done? What do you think some of his maybe weaknesses are? And, uh, and maybe some of his strengths and the fact that you also were able to speak to Mike White like an hour ago. Also, uh, might make this interesting too. I, I should have talked to you guys before that. Then I could have just got all the questions ready. So um, consistency has been a problem. I mean, any, any Florida fan knows that. I mean, they, this has not been the most consistent team in the SEC. And the consistency to me is what's held them back from being an average team and being a great team. Um, and, you know, we talk about the frustrations of that team a couple of years ago that started the season so hot and then that thing just kind of fell off. And it just seems like for some reason, Florida will have those stretches to where that happens. Um, and, you know, we don't ever know when that's going to be. And sometimes they pick the wrong times to have those stretches. And, and that's something that's got to get worked out. And you know what, but here's the thing with such a young team, are you probably still going to have those stretches? Probably right. so. I mean, it's probably going to happen. The problem is, like we said, it's just, you know, that's what holds you back from being a great team. Uh, on the other hand, defensively, this is one of those teams where it's just you're, it's so hard to play a team that Mike White coaches because you know what you're going to get from them on defense. And even if they're inconsistent offensively, the defense has always been there for the most part, like we said, other than those stretches where they've, they've been inconsistent with some of those teams that were giving up, you know, 100 points a night or whatever. But, um, you know, it's just I think if they can get more – you know, consistent on offense. And when you have add all this talent, you certainly feel like you have an opportunity to do that. The defense has been able to be there. Um, if they can, this is that year. And, and we say this all the time, you know, coaches aren't defined by one year. Um, but this is one of those years knowing what the expectations are, even if he's not the one setting the expectations, um, everybody else kind of understands that it, you don't get a lot of talent like this. You're going to have talent leaving after this year. Um, we yeah. know there are going to be guys going to the NBA. So you've got to be able to accomplish things this year that maybe you haven't been able to do in years past. And certainly, you know, they did get to an elite eight, and we know that. But it's the expectations are different. I think how they respond to those expectations, I think they're approaching it great. Like I said, just in talking to him, uh, their approach is kind of that narrow focus. They're not worried about all the outside noise. Um, they clearly have those young guys that they're working, and they're not worried about anything else. Um, so I think you have to respect the approach, uh, but you also have to understand consistency, consistency, just like it has been the past several years, is what's going to decide whether Florida is a team that could win a national championship this year or if maybe they're that, that disappointing team in the SEC. Blake Lovell, you can read him at Southeast Hoops. Listen to the Marching to Madness podcast. It sounds like uh, Gators fans will be especially interested in that. Blake, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter since uh, people are pretty active on that application. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, at the Blake Lovell on Twitter. Um, that's where, like I said, we share all the podcasts on Twitter and um, all the great stuff. Just lots of SEC basketball stuff, lots of college basketball stuff. So you can uh, find that over there. Kind of the voice of SEC basketball. Blake Lovell, <laughs> we, uh, we appreciate having you. And, um, you know, try to get some rest before uh, November. It'll, it'll be here before you know it. Well, guys, I, I sleep in May, so uh, maybe I'll have, to, <laughs> I'll have to wait for that. So we'll see. Take care, Blake. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Eric, um, other other Gator news this week, I guess. The big news is uh, Florida fills a roster spot with uh, Tyree Appleby, a, a very talented player uh, from Cleveland State. Obviously kind of transfers in bizarre circumstances at Cleveland State, but you have followed it pretty closely and, and written articles about it at Gator Country. You know, your thoughts on, on adding Appleby and, and what he's going to offer the program as a player. Right. I mean, I, I kind of said this on the podcast. I will. Uh, I'm doubling down now. They got him. I, I am the premier Tyree Appleby expert. Um, like I said, I mean, I think I think I watched, uh, you know, probably maybe the staff watched more film of him. But uh, at this point, I feel like I probably watched every minute he played last year. But uh, so I think that that kind of just says a lot um, right there about how I feel about him. Um, he's just so entertaining to watch. And I know that doesn't always, you know, entertaining doesn't always equate 100 percent to um production but uh, but for him just what he can do off the dribble um is just mesmerizing and uh, his ability to pull up and shoot off the dribble and also 
um, blow by his man uh, is really intriguing. And uh, you just see the way that he really dominated the level he was at, which, yeah, was a, a not great league and his team wasn't good. And, and um, there's something to be said about that. Um, but he found a way to just score and uh, distribute the basketball. And pretty as, efficiently, despite being a high-usage player. Sorry. Right. Actually, yeah, very efficient. And, I mean, when you factor in um, when you factor in that a lot of his shots were, were off the dribble, um, he actually, his efficiencies are, are really, really good. So, um, but that is a really good note. And, and also, yeah, just the way he was able to, uh, to pass the ball so efficiently. Um, I'll just remind people, I said this before, um, his turnover numbers at, you know, near three and a half, that, that look bad, but he was one of the highest usage players in the country last year. So his actual turnover rate, um, once again, just for perspective, was um was it was his actual turnover rate was lower than Andrew Nemhart's. So that kind of shows that he, you know, can take care of the ball while also being pretty electric. So uh and just one thing that I think is just kind of huge from a little more of a I, I guess overarching view is you know the the staff had three transfers that they really went after this year. Um it was Anthony Deruji, it was Kerry Blackshear Jr. and it was Tyree Appleby and they got all three of them. And I think just the fact that they went out and got everyone that they wanted uh, just kind of says a lot about what they can do. Yeah. I think I, I tweeted something along the lines, along those lines out from the Florida BB hour account, just kind of noting that, you know, the work ethic of the staff and the way that they appear to have identified need and what they wanted on their roster and just went out and, and got it. Like they, they got everyone that they wanted. Um, and they did that with, with relentless work ethic. But I also think that, you know, I know Eric's a coach too. So one thing about being a coach is you have to be humble enough sometimes to acknowledge when you have to change things. And it's difficult to lose an entire recruiting class like like they did, the people that they evaluated and offered. And yet they're coming out on the other side of it with what I would argue is, is a massively upgraded roster. And, and I think um, – you know, really deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I mean, as much as like there was Isaiah Stokes fans and some, uh, you know, Okaru and, and Ballard fans, I, I don't think anyone would argue that. <laughs> I think everyone knows that this roster is in just a much better spot. And the one thing that I do think, um, and even we, you, something just even that, uh, that Blake mentioned when we had him on, uh, how Florida is going to lose a lot of talent this year. Um, well, the f- that they're now going to have Daruji and Appleby stepping in as as fourth year juniors in kind of 2020, 2021. Uh, that's huge because I think that when you can bring in, you know, two fourth year juniors, uh, that's going to be some instant, I, I would say, proven production. Um, right. That, uh, that is really going to help the fact when you, you know, lose Scotty Lewis, lose Blackshear, um, probably, uh, I maybe probably lose one more from a, you know, yeah, could of, lose Keontae Johnson. One of Keontae Johnson, right? yeah. Well, like I would, like in my mind, I think that one one of those two players has probably gone too. So I mean, yeah, they're they're going to lose a lot of talent. So uh, to have Daruji stepping in, he'll be ready to go right away. Appleby, he'll be ready to go right away, and especially at um, a position like point guard. And uh, one other thing that uh, I think is really interesting about Appleby is that like he isn't just an absolutely electric score at the point, and Florida just really hasn't had that in a very long time. I mean, you look at. Uh, you look at uh, you look at Chioza, not a great score. Casey Hill, not a great score. Um, Scotty Wilbekin, not really a great score in terms of just the ability to go one on one and get a bucket. Florida hasn't really had one of those guards, and something we've talked about on this podcast, looking kind of uh, at a lot of Florida's games last season, is they had trouble with teams that had point guards that could go and get a bucket, and Florida hasn't had one of those guys, and I think they just got one. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I was thinking about that because the two that Florida has had that could score were Torian Green and Irving Walker, and neither of them were really, you know, Irving Walker maybe a little more than Torian Green was a guy who would try to challenge people off the bounce, um, and then sometimes that would lead to just hilarious turnovers. I'm sure they weren't hilarious at the time for Florida <laughs> fans, but <laughs> but like you know, he just dribble into so much trouble and. You'd wonder, you know, what in the world he was thinking about. But to some extent, like, Billy Donovan would live with that aggression, right? Um, because, you know, he could create, and he was a decent enough passer for, for that to be valuable. Uh, Torian was different kind of score because with Torian, it was just a lethal jump shot. And so, you know, if you dropped off to go help on bigs, Torian would be like, all right, I'm just going to pull up here and make two threes in a row on multiple possessions. 
and that was just devastating. But, you know, it gets into a longer conversation about why that team was so good. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a, like a unique it's, – it's a unique fit for Florida, and that's a really, uh, a really interesting and great point. One note I wanted to make, and I don't know if Eric's heard anything different about this because I know you've talked to Tyree. Like I had – there is, I guess, a possibility that he could get a waiver based on the, the unfortunate allegations around Dennis Felton. Um, and, you know, I haven't heard anything about that. That's what I was going to tell listeners. All I've heard is that uh, it's something that they're looking at. Um, and that's, that's the incentive of it. I don't know if Appleby wants one. And quite honestly, usually in those situations, you defer to the player. Yeah. I, I actually do think this is going to be something to watch from what I've talked about. I, I'm not entirely sure that it's something that both the team and, and Appleby both want. Um, just because, and, and that is one thing about Appleby. I mean, he's, he's certainly not big. I think he's a red shirt year would do him really well, but at the same time, I mean, I, I could see how he sees the roster this year. And, and says, like, hey, I, I kind of want to be a part of what's going on, and I think he would produce yeah. um, right now. So, uh, and if he came in, maybe that pushes, uh, maybe that pushes Quez Glover to maybe he red shirts, um, right? That would probably be the move. But uh, I, I, actually, I actually do think if Florida pushed, they could get a waiver. And that's kind of the, the, the view I have. And I even asked some people not related to Florida, just like, hey, as outsider's perspective, um, people whose opinion I respect, like hey do you think that this could happen and they're like yeah we think so and, and i was like oh does it matter that he you know announced his intention to transfer before all this news came out and they're like well probably not because you see for those who don't know like pretty much every other cleveland state player has transferred as well <laughs> just yeah jeff jeff borzella who i know we both like said basically that he thought any of those players would would get a waiver from the ncaa if they wanted one Totally. So, so yeah, I, I do think it's something to, to watch for it, but I, I, yeah, I'm not sure it's, it's in the best interest of both Florida and, and him. Right. Um, though at the same time, I mean, if he does come and play, I, I think he's going to contribute right away. And um, while it's not, not a ton of minutes available for him in the backcourt, I mean, he's going to come in and score. I'll, I'll, let, I'll tell you that much. And uh, so, you know, maybe he wants to do that and then come back for and start and, that could be what he wants to do. But I mean, if he takes a red shirt year, I expect him to be, to give two, uh, you know, two excellent kind of starter sixth man level minute seasons. Whereas if he plays next year, um, he obviously, there's just not that spot for him. Well, there it is, everybody. Eric Fawcett, as usual, we do not get the rule changes. It's just going to become a running joke on the show. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, we promise that we'll get the, no, I'm not even going to do that this time. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> eventually we'll talk about rule changes. We're going to do a big recruiting show in the short term. If you need your recruiting fix, go to GatorCountry.com, read Eric's uh, new piece on recruiting. Um, I am told that there should be at least two official visitors the weekend in August when people are allowed to visit. So that's interesting. And um, more of that on the back end. But thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we hope you enjoy uh, the show.